0: and the Coalition Snow Ambassador. And I'm Jen Garecki, your co-host and the CEO of Coalition Snow. For those of you who are with us in Season 1, we are glad you're back. For those of you who are new, get ready to laugh, cry, and maybe pee your pants a little. Juicy Bits is all about taking conversations that we start on the chairlift and at the trailhead and even at the dinner table and bringing them to you bi-monthly for productive, meaningful conversations that explore alternative narratives to the conventional dialogue about what it means to be a woman in modern society. Grab your helmet because sometimes it's a bumpy ride. FYI, this podcast is for mature audiences, so you've been warned. Let's get to work and juice the patriarchy. Hey everyone, this is Jen Gorecki and I am here with a very special guest for this episode of Juicy Bits. Uh, We have Jackie Peso with us, who is a professional big mountain skier. She, no big deal, is the 2016 Freeride World Tour Vice Champion. In her spare time, she's one of the co-founders as the Safe As Avalanche Clinics. And most recently, she actually teamed up with fellow Freeride World Tour athlete Eva Walkner to make the film Evolution of Dreams. Jackie, welcome to Juicy Bits. Thank you. It's great to be here. Awesome. So just to jump right into things. I just gave a little introduction, but for some of our listeners who may not know who you are, what have you been doing the last, I don't know, 20 years?
1: Uh, Well, I've been competing on the Freeride World Tour for the past 10 years now. So traveling mostly over in Europe, and I've actually recently moved to Sweden, or not recently, that was five years ago. I met a Swede, Raina Barkred, on the Freeride World Tour competing, and have yeah moved over there uh like you mentioned safe as clinic still heading over to north america to work on that with my friends back in the tahoe area and there's been so much just in the past like six months that (laughs) it's hard to it's hard to sum it all up but um i've been skiing i guess that would be i've been doing lots of skiing
0: That's good. It's been a good year to ski for a lot of us. It's been a really good year. Well, for most of what we're going to talk about today, we actually want to get into the film that you just made because it's a pretty significant accomplishment because you um, and Eva did something that a lot of women or just people, humans don't do, which is you, you know, starred in, produced, funded this film, which I imagine was an incredible endeavor And so I want to start talking about that, and then um, I'm sure we'll get into skiing a little bit. But I'm just really curious if you can share with us what the inspiration was behind Evolution of Dreams.
1: Ava and I had kind of tossed around the idea of putting together a ski movie for a couple of years, and it's something that I had been thinking about myself. Um, Having, you know, in the U.S. especially, there's a few companies that you can maybe get the call to go and film with, or you don't. And we figured, you know, I was like, well, I'm not going to sit around and wait to get that phone call that may or may not ever come. So I'm going to make it happen myself. And Ava was kind of feeling the same way. And so I teamed up with her. And then, you know, the next step was kind of just figuring out what we wanted to make a movie about. Uh, And I think we, you know, for us, skiing has been a massive part of our lives for like, basically for as long as we could walk. But one thing that we realized as we were kind of talking and brainstorming and thinking of ideas was that, you know, the road to where we are today wasn't always winning. It wasn't always up. It was a roller coaster ride. And we thought that that was kind of important to share with people that, you know, things might kind of appear perfect and great on the outside, but it takes a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of like, you know, Fighting through the tough times to kind of get to get to where we are today, so we wanted to share that.
0: Yeah, and in the I mean, part of what makes the film really compelling, or what was really compelling for me was being able to follow this trajectory of your life and that it was a film that wasn't just about skiing. I mean, skiing's fun and it's great, but a lot of us want a lot more in our lives. And being in the mountains isn't necessarily just about making turns, right? And in the beginning of the film, you actually... Talk about losing a 10 year dream. So, you had been, and maybe you can share with our listeners what that dream was, but I'm curious as well, like looking back on that now, what did you learn from that, which I'm sure at the time felt like an incredible failure?
1: So, the 10 year dream basically, it was I started competing in mogul skiing through middle school, through high school, and even into college. My goal was to go to the Olympics and ultimately win a gold medal. And this is something that I, you know, put my heart and soul into and devoted a lot of time, my family, uh, my parents devoted a lot of time to helping this dream become a reality. And, you know, for a number of reasons, it didn't come true. And it was devastating. This was my big dream. This was what, if anybody asked me what I wanted to do when I w- grew up, it it was to be a professional skier. But in my mind at that time, that was, you know, being a freestyle skier, being a mogul skier and being an mm-hmm. Olympic gold medalist. Um, That was what my idea of a professional skier was back then. So in my early 20s, that kind of all just was shattered. And I really struggled to come back from that. And I think it took, I don't know, four or five, maybe even six years of just, Being a little bit lost and not really feeling like I kind of like lost that my identity and who I was and what I was working towards. Now, um, looking back, I wish that that wasn't something that hit me so hard. I wish I could have seen like, just because this one door closed doesn't mean another door is not going to open. It means, you know, other opportunities might arise. But when you're in your early 20s and in your mind your whole world just shattered that was kind of hard to see at the time
0: yeah well in the sport the sport's evolved quite a bit it's interesting that you say that in your mind being a professional skier meant that you would be competing in the olympics but that's no longer true it how has the how has the sport changed in a way that supported you in realizing your career as a pro skier
1: um, I mean, nowadays, sadly, mogul skiing is is kind of a dying sport. And I guess, yeah, I guess I didn't at twelve didn't have a full understanding of right. what being a professional <laughs> athlete actually meant. So, so that's that's part of the
0: problem. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you were only twelve years old, so don't beat right. yourself up about that. <laughs> yeah. So another thing that you address in the film is, and, and you've talked about this outside of the film is, as well, but uh, in addition to, you know, not, not competing in the Olympics, um, you've had this battle with depression. And one of the reasons why I bring it up on the podcast today and and why we featured um, featured this in our latest issue of Sisu Magazine is that there's actually such a stigma around talking about this. And it's not something that's at the forefront of our conversations, but it's something that so many people deal with either personally or because they have someone very close in their lives who is struggling with this. And I can only imagine how terrifying it would be to sort of come out on this global platform to talk about what you've had to manage through through your development and through your your career, and um can you talk a little bit ab- about this battle with with depression and and how you have managed to get where you are today to speak so openly and candidly about it?
1: yeah, so I mean I think my or when it really started hitting me, it was around two thousand and four and it was in that period after mobile skiing and those dreams crushed where I was really down for some time and I had a couple episodes that were quite bad Um and, and the first one where I had you know actually attempted suicide I it was hard because instead of after this like awful thing had happened instead of trying to figure out like what I could do for help and how I could move forward and how I could get better, all I could think about was how everybody is probably going to judge me um, for mm-hmm. what I had done, which made me feel even worse uh, than I already did. And I think it's really important for people to to talk about this problem so that hopefully it, it never gets to the point where I got twice. Uh, it doesn't get there, hopefully. And I mean, just just talking about it is is okay. because as soon as I started coming out about what my issues were, my my problems, there were all these people you realize, like almost everybody has is either affected personally or, like you said, you know, by friends, family members. And if we can all just kind of talk about this and have this realization, then I think you won't feel so alienated when you are struggling and you won't be so afraid um to be like hey you know what life is kind of hard right now and it doesn't I think I feel like people think depression it has to be like you've gone through some just awfully traumatic situation like that's like that might be the case but that's not always the case um it's so individual what could kind of bring somebody to go down that um to kind of start falling apart and I think you can't Judge people like oh well my my issue was way worse than yours um it's just you know everybody has these issues, people are affected differently about it, and to you know to help the community as a whole, we just need to talk about it because um there's it it's just a part of life, and we shouldn't be ashamed, but um we need to talk about it so we can move forward and and not get to these points where people are. Getting in positions that they can't get out of. So, talking um, and seeking help, I think, is is really important. Yeah.
0: Beyond getting to a point where you felt more comfortable talking about this with people in your life, are there other ways that you've learned to manage your your depression?
1: I think for me, one of the things that I know is I I need to keep moving. I need to have activity. Um, in my life always. Uh, so if I'm having moments where I'm feeling down, just kind of like getting myself to go out for a walk, um, and get outdoors and and move around. I think for me, that's like, that's kind of my thing. That's maybe, you know, someone else's version of like doing art or pottery as Mm -hmm. their therapy. Um, for me, movement is my therapy. And, um, and also, I mean, it kind of, it's talking, but when I, when I feel like even though now I'm in a pretty good spot, I still have moments where I kind of start dipping down and I, I feel that it's things are getting hard for whatever reason. And I try to tell people, you know, my my husband or family, like, hey, you know, it's hard right now. Um, and then I realize, like, okay, maybe I should go and, and talk to a therapist or, or somebody to just kind of stay on top of it so it doesn't get um as bad as it can be so I, I try to just be aware of how I'm feeling what's going on and and manage it because it's not like you know you you recover and then you're you're gonna be okay for the rest of your life like um I'm probably gonna have issues um later on in life It's just as long as I stay on top of it I think I'll be okay
0: I want to point out that um everybody's experience with this is, is different. So the way that you deal with it is, is obviously something that works for you. Although what I will say, as I mentioned, we we really got into this topic in this spring issue of Sisu Magazine, but we brought in Dr. Bree Moore, who is a licensed psychologist. And one of the things that she wrote about in the magazine was that actually having this community of support, having people that you can talk to, but then also seeking professional support, Um, speaking to a therapist are are the two things that can really help people when you're sort of in that like deepest, dark place of depression. So um, there's a lot of other information in the magazine surrounding yourself with positive people and seeking help are really important pieces to this for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to put it all on your family. So I think, you yeah. know, going to a professional is, um, it's okay. And it's a good thing mm-hmm. to do. Um, and I think it's important to people that have access and to do that, um, when they feel like they're at a point where they really need it Yeah. or before, or before they need it.
0: Yeah. Hopefully before, like maybe like, right. When yeah. you're feeling, triggered or starting to sense that you're falling into something to reach out before it gets to a point where it's not manageable. Because um, it is such an issue. And, and I think that, you know, one of the reasons why, like I said, why I wanted to talk about it today is that this is a bigger issue than we give than we speak to, right? And but I think that the more mm-hmm. that we can talk about it, the more that we can recognize how much this affects so many people, um, and work to sort of de- destigmatize what it means to be depressed or to see a, a therapist and make that more normal. Um, because this idea that everyone's carrying carrying on um, in this super positive, happy ways is, is really, I mean. This is why you shouldn't get all of your um, information from Instagram, right? <laughs> so, if if you go to Instagram, you just you you only see certain things, or only see like sort of part of what people are dealing with, and there's so much more there. So, so I'm going to shift us. So, actually, speaking of Instagram, this ties into something you said earlier one of the conversations that i'm noticing that's happening in skiing and uh, i think sport in general is that you know what's happening with the careers of professional athletes now that instagram is a platform that people can monetize their ex- experiences so if we if we think back to a time before instagram Pro athletes were sponsored by brands and, you know, that's how athletes made a living. Now with Instagram and other platforms, we've got people who aren't athletes, uh, but they're influencers and they are being, you know, some of this money is sort of shifting and to people who aren't athletes, but are on the influencer side. And I'm curious if you have an opinion on this.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's really... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, yeah. You know, it's one of those things where, on one hand, you got to say, you know, that these influencers, they've figured it out. And it's not like mm-hmm. what they're doing is not necessarily hard. Um, you know, they are putting work in. So, you know, kudos to them. At the same time, my fear you know, being a professional athlete is that now like athletics is such a important part of society. I think it's good for children to, to have these goals or just good for society at large to have goals in athletics. But the level, um, is, maybe going to be hurt by the fact that you'll have these athletes like it takes so much time to be good at a sport and especially when you're younger and you you spend you know hours and hours perfecting your skill and working on it and you shouldn't have to worry about building your instagram at the same time right and there are these younger athletes that you know, they, they've worked on the skill and this is like, you know, mostly in skiing, but I'm sure it happens in other sports, um, that there's all these athletes that they worked on their skiing. And then they're seeing these influencers come in that might be, you know, okay, but they're just not on the same level. And they're getting all the support that, Mm -hmm. you know, back in the day, these talented athletes would get. Um and so now it's like there's no where's the incentive you're not gonna get you know you're not maybe gonna become a professional athlete because the money's not there it's taken by the influencers um even though you might be better and it- you know
0: i don't i don't know it's a uh, it's, it's tricky it's tricky because on on one side the the positive side of influencers is how it actually opens up the outdoors to so many people because we know that skiing and and so many of our outdoor activities, there's a massive barrier because of the cost, right? Like Mm -hmm. even to be able to ski for a day is incredibly like out of this world expensive. And so there's so many people who don't even have access to the outdoors or to these experiences because of the high cost. And so Influencers at some level, it's it's interesting to see, particularly, you know, people of of color um, and individuals who have been historically marginalized in the sport um, and left out are now have this now have this way to participate. But to your point, if if we value athletes, which let's just be honest, we do. All we have to do is look at sports ball, and we really love paying. These guys to throw balls around, right? Like we really value this. Um, Like how how do we encourage younger people to get into maybe more of these um, non team sports or adventure sports if they know that they'll never be able to have a career out of it? And if we prize if if the prize is placed on the way on your image versus your skill set athletically, that's it's a tough conversation for sure.
1: Yeah. I don't think there's one right answer. And of course, I mean, I'm sitting from the side as an athlete, so yeah. it's hard for me not to be a little bit biased, but at the same time, I, I do understand and uh to be a professional athlete now, nowadays and probably back then you have to have some sort of business sense. You have to, yeah, <clears throat> you have to understand that we, and I hate, I hate this part, but you, you're kind of selling yourself to companies because, mm-hmm being a professional athlete means you're selling products. Um, You're promoting products for companies. So if you are not unable to do that, you know, through some sort of, whether it's, you know, competition results, media, Instagram, then you're not that valuable to companies and they're, you know, they might give you stuff, but they're not necessarily going to fund your career. So it's a, It's not a there's no it's not a there's a big gray area there,
0: yeah. (laughs) It's it's, well, (laughs) yeah. And and you let's be honest, you can't pay the rent with free skis, so I mean, I guess you could sell them on Craigslist and then you could try to pay the rent that way, but that's a whole different hustle. Um, so okay, so another thing that another trend that I'm noticing, um, is in in skiing um, is about women. So obviously, like women are popular, people are paying attention. I mean, women have been skiing and have been doing all sorts of things in society for a very long time. But all of a sudden, everybody else just kind of like woke up to it. And so what we've seen in I'd say like the last like, I don't know, five to seven years is that there is this big push of um, like women specific Films and obviously like products, like what we do at at Coalition, right? Um, But one of the trends that I'm sort of noticing is that there's a a desire from some people to remove themselves from that gender label, from being called a female skier, from being part of a women's ski film. And I'm noticing this on uh, behalf of some athletes who just want to be known as an athlete, you know, just like I would like to be known as you know, someone in business, a CEO, right? We don't necessarily like need the, the gender. Um, so I'm curious, like, how do you think that this conversation around gender is evolving in the sport and what's, what's your, your take on it?
1: Like when I talk about evolution of James, for example, people ask me like, Oh, like you guys made a, a girl ski movie. How was that? I'm like, well, I mean, we made a ski movie that features two women. Right, uh, But we don't like to call it a girl's ski movie.
0: Mm-hmm. At
1: the same time, I'm not sure that it's necessarily a bad thing that there's girl's ski movies, that there's, you know, women specific things out there. Um, because all women are different. Like, you can't just put this into one category. And so you're going to have some women like myself that are like, you know, I want to call myself an athlete. And you're going to have other women that are like, I'm a female or female professional or I want these female specific products and that's great Mm -hmm. because they have that and there's nowadays there's something for every female out there more or less so I think I think as long as we're supporting each other that's really all that matters at the end of the day um that women are supporting each other in the sport and we're able to get out there and men are supporting women and women are supporting men and and everyone is just out enjoying skiing and sports. Um, and everyone that wants to do it has an opportunity.
0: Well, and that people get to be in control of their own narrative about it. Right. So if, if you're making a film and you aren't, you're not the one who's calling it a women's ski film, it's, it's actually not okay for other people to label it as such, right? Like that's not what you're leading with. And, and part of the challenge for me about it is that if we have men all men in a film, we don't call it a men's film. It's just a ski film, right? And so right. we've we've taken this concept, you know, so we 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 might have all men in a film and that's normal. And we don't have to differentiate it around gender, but all of a sudden you put women in something, and then all of a sudden it's a women's ski ski film. Um, and really it should be up to the people who are part of that film or the project or whatever it is to be controlling the narrative about that experience rather than having the media or out- outsiders come in and, and um, create, you know, create this storyline that maybe isn't there. And if everything always has to be in, you know, comparing to what it is that men do, like if that's sort of the the pillar of normalcy, that's to me what needs to shift. Particularly, in an era where gender is, is fluid and even to have the conversation about men and women, like we need to be able to expand that dialogue outside of the, you know, these binary gender constructs. So none of this is easy. Um, I mean, it's not even easy for me to talk about, obviously, Um, (laughs) but it's this, um, it's, it's pretty complicated and I'm really interested to see how this is going to continue to evolve. And if we're going to see, um, you know, like more people in control of their narrative and creating films and projects and experiences that aren't necessarily being labeled by, by gender will be, it'll be interesting to see what happens.
1: Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I think the goal is like when, when women started making girls ski movies, it wasn't because they felt like they needed to have their own thing. It was because they wanted to be a part of it. And the only exactly. way they could be a part of it was to make their own thing. So exactly.
0: Like,
1: yeah, if we just, if it just ends as like you have a ski movie or you have a, uh, you know, climbing movie or whatever, and it has people in it um, and hopefully all different types of people
0: are represented. That's kind of the ideal. Exactly. Um, and un- unfortunately, we don't live in a time where everything is equal. So we can't, you know, there, there are, you know, there, there is this case to be made to actually talk about, you know, like, I am a woman, I, or, you know, I am trans, I am non-binary, I am a person of color, like all of these differentiators at some point are important because we're not on e- equal playing fields, but it's just it's multifaceted. It's tricky for sure. Another question for you, because we're talking a lot about the way that things have been and maybe what the future holds. Um, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started your career?
1: Well, actually, it's something that I know now, but it's something that I still need to work on. Um, and that is trying to get myself to just enjoy the moment. Um that I'm, you know, that I haven't these like amazing opportunities that I have in my career that I've had in my career over the years and that I'm having right now. Uh, I'm still trying to, you know, it's getting better, but I'm still trying to teach myself to enjoy these moments instead of worrying about what's going to happen next always. Um, mm. So maybe in five years, I've figured it out, hopefully sooner. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing because I go on you know these amazing trips and have these great opportunities and sometimes I'm thinking about or stressing about what's going to happen you know what's the next thing that's happening instead of just being in the moment
0: and enjoying it that's such a good lesson I think that most of us I find myself oftentimes just thinking about what's the next thing and um what do i need to be doing now and oh i'm doing this one thing but i probably shouldn't be enjoying myself because there's work to be done you know and you kind of miss out um on those you know those times that you'll never have again yeah absolutely same <laughs> yeah. same here yeah i know we should probably be a little bit better to ourselves i think okay so my final question for you if you were the boss of skiing if tanner hall lost that title ski boss and you became the new ski boss, and you were the boss of all the things. What would skiing look like in 10 years from, from now?
1: Oh, man. Okay, so I think I would get rid of the term boss. because <laughs> Skiing is supposed to be about having fun, and as soon as somebody is the boss of everybody, then you kind of take
0: the fun out of it. <laughs> so I would start with that. Nice. <laughs> so no one's the boss. No one's the boss. No one's the, because it's, it's not- just just about having fun.
1: Yeah, it's not, I mean, how much fun do you have when the boss is around? I mean, it depends. Sometimes you have a great boss, but sometimes you're a little bit like, ooh, the boss is here. I can't really do what I want to do. So no one's the boss. Everyone just is out there enjoying themselves safely and getting after it and having fun.
0: That would be my is- goal. <laughs> fun is good. Having having more fun. That's what we want skiing to be. It's just about fun. Awesome. Is there, is there anything else that you want to chat about today? I think something that will be interesting
1: to talk about, which is something I'm still wrapping my head around is being a female athlete and children.
0: (gasps) Oh, that's such a good one.
1: But I feel like that's like another, like another conversation because I know there's a few like there's just so many of us nowadays that are getting into their mid to late 30s to early 40s that are going after it and still getting better every season and then there's this whole like biological clock that's ticking Mm -hmm. Um, and it is really really tough because I honestly just thought that I was going to get dropped in my early 30s. And it was just like, all right, let's have kids. But I am really struggling with that one because I want to keep doing this. Um, And it's a, it's a, I also don't want to miss out on having children because of my career. So it's a, it's a tough
0: conversation. It's really tough. And I mean, and just the fact of I mean, the the nine months of pregnancy and then having a newborn, I mean, there's almost no way around missing one season, right? You'd miss one season at least, right? Is there any, I mean, if we like looked at a calendar, could you time it to where you wouldn't lose a season?
1: Well, I guess it depends on like how well you would recover. Right afterwards and that's like these are all these things that I never I just assumed like yeah okay you you have a kid and then you're like good to go the next week but now I have all these friends that are actually having kids and I'm around it um, which sounds weird because I'm 37 and I'm just now learning that like it's not that simple
0: (laughs) no and it's different Um, for everyone that's the other thing every single person has a different experience both with their pregnancy and Um, with giving birth and even with being a mother, right? Like it's not this cookie cutter experience. And so you actually don't know, you don't even know what you're signing up for until it happens.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, it's hard. Um, It's a, it's something that I'm like, I haven't really quite made the dive yet to go and get pregnant. But it's definitely something that's in the back of my mind. But then every year I'm like, well, I
0: still feel like I've got more in me. I still feel like I right. can do more. I still feel like I'm getting better. But you know, the interesting thing for me about this is that, so this isn't, this is a professional industry, right? And we're having all these conversations um, in society around like maternity leave and paternity leave and, and healthcare. And so here we have this professional industry where professionals in the industry have to worry about losing their career because they'll lose their sponsors because they won't be able to compete for a winter. That's one of the issues, right? And imagine Mm -hmm. if the industry had a policy on this that actually protected people who choose to have children and you got that maternity leave, like you could take that year off and then come, come back. And obviously, once again, another tricky conversation, because if you're competing, you actually have to be able to compete. But now we know that a lot of people are pro athletes and they're not even competing anymore. They're just skiing really well. And there's nothing to say that after having a child, you're still not going to totally crush it. I mean, there's so many women to look at who are still crushing it, incredible skiers. So it's not like you, you lose that. But there's a problem in our industry when people don't feel that they have to choose. And I know for us, so at Coalition, Lauren, who's our creative director, she has a child and some of our like closest ambassadors and friends, they have kids too. And one of the things that we've run into even this year is we can't go to industry events because there's no childcare. And and if there was childcare, the cost of it is so insane that now as a company, our expenses, because we have all women who work with us, our expenses are fundamentally higher than companies that only employ dudes, right? Like when I'm calling major magazines to talk to them about whether or not there's child care at this gear test or this or that, like I'm sure mm-hmm. I'm the only person calling to ask those questions and that's why it's not there. And so from even a professional side for us, like we're limited on what we can do because we have to have childcare and it's either not available or it's so expensive that you can't afford to go do, do those things. So there's, there's a lot to this for sure.
1: It's a tricky one because it's the time during the pregnancy and then after and all these it's, there's just so, I mean, there's probably a lot that I'm not even thinking about and I'm actually, I mean, I'm probably retiring from competition. Hmm. Um, I think this next contest in a few days is going to be my last. Okay. Uh, but, I, but that's partially because I want to, you know, have some time to compete or to do stuff outside of competition, to do different film projects and um, expeditions and stuff like that. And having a kid makes that very difficult as well. So it's, it's a, Something that's been on my mind. I know it's on the mind of a few other athletes. And what does your like husband think about it? He's kind of like me. Like sometimes, I mean, he wants to have kids, and I think sometimes he's like, "Yeah, okay, let's do it." But then when he realizes, because we've had a lot of friends, guy, you know, guys that have had kids as professional athletes, and they've mm-hmm. said, "Oh, it's it's great," mm-hmm. but um, their wives for partners, they're not professional athletes. Mm. Um, and so it's a little, it's, it's different. I mean, not to say that they're not having to make sacrifices, they still are. And you know, their, their wives are still making sacrifices, but, um, you know, these guys, they're like still continuing their career as athletes. And for Raina, um, it's not going to be that simple because right. <laughs> I'm going to want to continue my career as well and we're gonna have to find way and i know like there are some athletes that are figuring it out it's just there's there's not that many out there and it's kind of a new i I wouldn't say it's a brand new problem because there's there are women that have gone and had children and come back and like become olympians and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so it's not a brand new problem but um maybe in the ski industry it's it's a little bit different because a lot of the women that have gone and had children have kind of retired yeah or stepped away um and so what some of us are trying to wonder is like well is it possible to have children and continue
0: right. well um, and also to even look at it like have these have these people stepped away from it because because they couldn't do it or because they chose not to, right? So sometimes it's not even that it's a sacrifice as much as it's, you're just making different choices. And to understand the experiences of, you know, all the people involved in it, like, did you feel like you could no longer be an athlete? There were too many barriers once you had a child, or was it that your priorities shifted and you were happy with this new path in in your life, right? Because it's not to say that having a child would necessarily be this tremendous sacrifice if, cause it's all perception and it's all based, you know, it's all up to that individual person and their partner and their experience. And that's different for everyone, but it's, yeah. And this, I mean, this isn't talked about a lot. We're not talking about this.
1: Yeah, no, that's true because yeah, I might, if I do ever end up getting pregnant, I might be like, well, I thought nine months ago that I wanted to continue afterwards, but now I realize I don't <laughs> right um so and that's something that i'll I won't know in until that moment happens if it happens, but it's definitely it's something that I'm like have on my mind, and that feeling of like missing out completely because I'm still chasing my dream
0: right. um is
1: kind of scary,
0: right. Well, and it's something that a lot of athletes and a lot of people have to deal with, which is um, your identity, right? Like understanding how your identity might shift and how you kind of manage that change because you're not necessarily going to be a professional athlete for your entire life. And that transition is so difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, that's
1: that's scary too. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Which is why you should have a very good therapist. Because you will need one, we <laughs> are right? Like every every athlete I know who's transitioned well is because they had a therapist and they didn't okay. completely self destruct and they and they like had done well in in it. That's
1: that's good to know.
0: Yeah, I've got a name for you too. I'm not going to say it now, but like I've got people you should call. But I've I have seen it. Like I've seen a few people who've who've um, transitioned from being a- athletes and they. While it's definitely difficult um, in in some of the conversations I've had with them, it's difficult in ways that they didn't necessarily anticipate. They were able to manage that because they were actively seeing a therapist through the entire process.
1: Okay. Yes. That is a really good idea.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I'm not there there yet, but when the moment comes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something to keep in mind. Jackie, I want to thank you so much for... Joining us today on Juicy Bits. I've been a huge fan for many years and love what you've been doing for the sport, and then also love what you've been doing with Safe As Clinics. For anyone who would like to know more about Safe As, where can they learn about that?
1: Uh, So they can go to safeasclinics.org.
0: Awesome. Okay. And check you out on Instagram too, right?
1: Yeah. You can find me at Jackie Peso. That's double A one S, um, on Instagram or Facebook or, uh, online website too.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And looking forward to seeing what's up next for you and your continued evolution of dreams.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay. Thanks.
0: Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Juicy Bits. That was incredible to be able to have some more time with Jackie. Um, If you are not familiar with Safe as Clinics, please go check them out safeasclinics.com and you can also find them on Instagram. I want to take a moment to actually thanks some of our new patreon supporters so for those of you who don't know juicy bits is funded by a community of people who believe in our podcast and you can go to patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com and search for juicy bits and you can support this um it allows us to be in a studio it allows us to have an editor And we just really love the community that we're building. And we have two new patrons who I want to thank. So Courtney Strong and Daphne Johnson, thank you so much for your support. Um, And yeah, check us out on Patreon. And if there's other people that you would love to hear us interview, please send us an email at at juicybits at coalitionsnow.com. All right, till next time.
1: If I could hear a song
0: for forever, you would sing it I've got problems, I know, I promise that I'll solve them The burden of your worries are too much for me to swallow I am worthless, don't know what's my perk